Today, I have the incredible privilege of bringing to you my interview with one of my all-time favorite authors and probably my top 10 book ever. Um, I'm interviewing today Ron Hall, and he wrote the book, Same Kind of Different as me. As me. Carter May is helping me today. So let me tell you something. I don't get nervous a lot on these interviews anymore. It's just, I love them so much. I've, I've done, you know, enough of them where it just, I don't get as nervous anymore. But let me tell you something. I was so nervous to interview uh, Mr. Ron Hall. I think because I appreciate his work so much. His book is one of those books that I encourage every person in the world to read. And it's one of the ones that I've read a couple of times. I read it whenever I know that I need to have a more compassionate heart. When people ask me for books to read that will open their heart to others, this is the one that I always give them. It's same kind of different as me. And if you don't love to read, they made a movie about it. Uh, Renee Zellweger's in it, John Voight, Greg Kinnear. It is this beautiful story of this millionaire art dealer who has this friendship with um, a homeless man, and not just any homeless man, like a angry homeless man. And my interview right now is Mr. Ron Hall, who's the author, and this is his story. He literally tells us the story in his own words. It you do not want to miss it. I was riveted. I've read the book, but I'm literally sitting with my jaw open of some of the behind the scenes that he gives me of how he met Denver um, Moore, who's the homeless man, and how his wife was involved and it was her dream. And oh my gosh, you guys, it is like this. It's incredible. Your mouth will be open and you will want, it's, it's like one of those interviews where you just want the person to keep talking. That's what it was. I could have talked to him for hours and heard his story. So please listen to this interview. You will love it so much. I am so honored to have him on. Um, your heart will be more open just by listening to this. And he gives us some real sweet steps of how we can also be in relationship with those who are different, but also the same as us. So listen up, you guys. You're going to love it. Hey, guess what's coming out? Our new children's book, The Lunchbox Note, a story about loving others. <gasps> a story about loving others. The Lunchbox Note is our story of how a lunchbox note really changed our lives. And we are sharing it with you. It releases May 2020. But guess what? You can pre-order your autograph copy today. All you have to do is go to www.bestrongstory.com slash book. And it's right there. Thank you, guys. Order yours today. Cause all I need is Hi, I'm Chrissy Hayes and co-founder of Be Strong Story, a family mission and company founded because of a little lunchbox note my husband wrote my son that said, Be strong, protect the weak, love everyone. That's right, we believe those three lines can change our world if we live them out. Each week, we'll be sharing an inspiring and real story of others who are displaying this message of love in big and small ways in their community. Because every way matters. We hope each story will inspire you to make this message your own. Let's go love the world, you guys. Hey, Ron, I am so excited to talk with you. I can't tell you that your book is one of my favorite all-time books. And for those who know me, know I, am a, I have literally three books on my nightside table a night. And I'm a huge reader. And I 
can't even tell you when people ask me, I told you this earlier when we were talking, when people ask me, what is a book or something I can read to just open my heart to others, learn about others who um, have different backgrounds than me? What do I read? And your book is the first one that I give them, which is same kind of different as me, a modern day slave, an international art dealer, and the unlikely woman who bound them together. And so it is such an honor for me to have you. I don't really get like um, nervous, but I'm actually kind of nervous talking to you because I've just, I've admired your work for so long. So um, thank you so much. And thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you. It's always, it's always fun to talk to people who, uh, who love our story. And I, I, I love telling the story. God gave it to me uh, as a gift, uh, not the kind of gift I was looking for, but he gave it to me as a gift and we've used it really to, to bless others and help more than $110 million for the homeless. So I know that God uh, is in charge and in control of that. So. That's amazing. For those who might not know, um, you wrote this book, I think in 2006. It's sold millions of copies and it's, a, it's your real life story. And one of the things that I love to tell people is number one, to share your story because it can touch the world and yours has. So I'd love to for you just to kind of tell your story and kind of a brief synopsis. I want people to still read the book, but um, for those who might not know it, I'd love for you just to kind of give us a synopsis of that story that, that changed your life, the one that you weren't looking to change your life but did. Well, um, really, it's not so much my story, Chrissy, as it is the story of my late wife, uh, Deborah Hall, known as Miss Debbie in the book, uh, and Denver Moore, who was a homeless man. You know, uh, the great poet Maya Angelou used to say, there's no pain like bearing an untold story. And uh, our story, uh, same kind of different as me, the movie and the book, is about the untold story of a homeless man named Denver Moore. He was, uh, he was homeless uh, for uh, over 25 years on the streets. And he was 62 years old when I met him. He had been in prison on the streets for all these years. He had never been allowed to go to school a day in his life. Uh, he had grown up on a plantation in Louisiana as kind of a modern day slave. And one day in his early 20s, he decided to hop a freight train and just escape because uh, he owed the man at the man's store uh, money and the man cut off his credit and there was no work for him to do on the plantation anymore. So he hopped a freight train and ended up landing in Fort Worth. Uh, he had been there for about 25 years when uh, my wife and I had been uh, living in Dallas, Texas. We were had, a, had an art gallery in Dallas in New York City, uh, had a gallery in Santa Fe, and I was an international art dealer traveling the world. And I was, uh, I'd say that Debbie and I were leading purpose-driven lives. Uh, her purpose in life was serving the almighty God, and my purpose in life was serving the almighty dollar. <laughs> and our paths had taken a very, very uh, distinct uh, road. We had come to a fork in the road in our marriage, and I was chasing one thing, and she was chasing another. Uh, I ended up having an affair, and because of her forgiveness, uh, we have a story now. To tell. But um, I'd say Denver had been on the streets for 25 years. His, his home at that time when we met him, uh, he was living uh, in a dumpster or by a dumpster across the street from uh, a homeless mission in downtown Fort Worth. 
But when we moved back to Fort Worth in 1998, to um, we, I was kind of wanting to slow down in, in my art business, and and Debbie wanted to get more involved in in things like working with homeless and poor and doing God's work. She wanted to be that the, the hands and feet of Jesus on the streets, and I wanted to be a cowboy on our ranch, which was what Fort Worth. So we moved back to Fort Worth to accomplish those our own personal. Uh, desires of what we wanted to do. But one of the first nights that we were back in Fort Worth, Debbie had a literal dream. And in her dream, she saw the face of a homeless man. And the next morning, she she awakened me, uh, which was usually she just let me sleep. But she was always up earlier doing her quiet time. But she woke me up and said, Ron, I had the most extraordinary dream last night. She said about a homeless man. And she said, and I saw his face. And she said it was like a verse in Ecclesiastes 9.15 where Solomon wrote, there was found in the city a certain poor man who was wise, and by his wisdom our city and our lives will be changed. She said, Ron, would you please go with me into the inner city and see if we can find this man in our dream? Because I believe if we can find him, I'll know that my dream is from God, and I know that our city and our lives will be changed by this dream. So... uh, You know, I had just, as I mentioned earlier, 10 years before this dream, I had had an affair and she had forgiven me. She had thrown my sin as far as the east is from the west, never to bring it up again. And she uh, and she had not. She had she had been true to her promise. She had not mentioned that in the 10 years. But that when she gave me that forgiveness, I promised her I would do anything she asked me the rest of our lives together. And she said only to be faithful. And so that's what I was trying to be faithful for. Then I was faithful. And uh, so this was the first thing she was asking me to do was go find this homeless man of her dream. So were you when she said that to you, um, did you think, oh, my gosh, I did not sign up. This is not what I wanted to do. Did you think she was crazy or what did you think? Well, you know, I knew she wasn't crazy. She was a, a, a very a, a scholarly person. She was one of the smartest people I ever knew. She knew she knew everything about every religion in the world. She had studied all religions before she made her choice to follow Christ and to be uh, to be a Christian. And and then she became a God chaser. Uh, she just she loved uh, being a, a, a follower of God and Christ. So I knew she wasn't crazy, and she had had one or two other literal dreams before that had come true, and and so she knew they were from God, and so this was uh, another one of those dreams. So, uh, but I didn't know what was really uh, lying in store for me at that point. So I did agree that day instead of going to my ranch, which I usually did, I. Uh, I got in the car with her and we started driving through the inner city of Fort Worth where most of the homeless people would hang out. And uh, we did that for several hours that day and we didn't see this man in her dream. So she said, well, let's stop and begin serving at this homeless shelter. She said, I've heard about. So a friend of hers had told her about the, uh, the union gospel mission. So we, uh, we showed up and announced that we wanted to start volunteering. Well, at that time, the Union Gospel Mission was a very run-down old cinder block building. It was just more like a flop house and a soup kitchen. And, 
and it was kind of a dangerous place. It was a scary place, and it was very yucky. I didn't really uh, want to be there, but uh, so we uh, we introduced ourselves, and and uh, uh, the guy that claimed to be the chef, Chef Jim, there <laughs> in the soup kitchen, was just another homeless man himself. Sure. So I uh, I asked Chef Jim. I said, "Are there any infectious diseases floating <laughs> around this place that I should know about?" Because it was very creepy looking. And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, we tried to infect them all with love. Oh, nice. Thought, oh, man, I wish you hadn't said that. So uh, so anyway, we began serving uh, an evening meal at the uh, Union Gospel Mission. And we'd been there a couple of weeks serving. Uh, and I was kind of getting over, you know, my, my fear of everything and not wanting to be there and just kind of doing it for Debbie and uh, and we were getting ready to serve the evening meal in the second week we'd been there. And, and all of a sudden, as the 200 men were entering the, the uh, room from the, uh, the dining hall from the, from the uh, chapel service, all of a sudden in another door, in storms this giant-looking man uh, with wearing no shirt and no shoes and just some uh, raggedy old unzipped khakis. And he was screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm going to kill whoever done it. I'm going to kill whoever stole my shoes. And he starts hitting everybody and, and beating and starting fights and or t- turning over tables. And there was mass pandemonium in the dining room. And I've never been so scared in my life. So I, I kind of hit the floor on my knees and, and, and was hiding behind the stainless steel serving counter. And uh, I could still hear all the screaming and the, and the obscenities and the, the, the fighting and uh, and so all of a sudden I started wondering, <clears throat> I wonder what happened to Debbie, because I had kind of stuck my head in the cubby hole. And uh, so um, I look up and she's all excited. She's jumping up and down like a cheerleader on the sideline of a football game. She said, that's him. Oh, that's no. Him. Then there were there were probably 20 men engaged in the fight. So I said, well, which one? And she said, the one who threatened to kill everybody is the man in my dream. And then she looked down at me while I was still on my knees. And she said, and Ron, I believe I heard from God that you have to be his friend and find out if my dream is really from God. Oh, And I shot back up a look at her and I said, Debbie, I was not at that meeting you had with God. If I'm going to be friends with someone who wants to kill everybody, I should go talk to God myself. And so that night I had a little chat with God. And, um, and I know, even though I didn't hear an audible voice, I know what I really heard from God was that for the forgiveness that Debbie and I have shown you. And so for Debbie and for God, the next day, I stepped out from behind the serving counter counter and began a full on pursuit uh, to get to know this man in her dream. (laughs) Oh my gosh. First of all, I'm laughing because Miss Debbie and I would be the best of friends because that (laughs) is very, it makes me laugh a little about just my husband's personality when I'm like, Hey, let's go do this. And you know, he is a processor. So a little more reserved. Um, but my, I love the picture of you on the ground and her, you know, cheering that she has found this man that was in her dream and she wasn't even scared about it. Like, you know, most of us, most of us would probably be like, Oh no, that's the, that's the guy, you know, 
most of us would think, not that guy, not that guy, but that wasn't her. She was so excited that that was him. So kind of fast forward a little bit, how did you pursue, how do you even pursue someone like that? Because I think for me, I am always trying to tell people how important it is to get to know those who are different than them. And because they share and they teach you so much, but this is like, like over the top. Like if I told someone to do this, they would say, no, 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 no. So tell me, how did you even get to know him? Well, it took, it took me five months of almost daily. I mean, at least five days a week, I began pursuing him. He didn't always come to the mission, uh, you know, or he didn't always come when we were there. And so I didn't, I was actually a couple of weeks later, we actually saw him and he waited till the mission was about to close. We were shutting down the serving line when he just came in and stuck two plates in our face and said, put some food on these plates. <laughs> and so, uh, so Debbie asked him his name and he said, ain't no business what you, ain't none of your business what my name is. I don't tell nobody my name. You just shut up and put some food on these plates. So uh, anyway, she said, well, I would like to know your name. And he said, he wasn't going to tell. But anyway, all of a sudden he starts screaming at her, screaming. And I'm, I'm looking uh, and she just jumps over the serving lines just like a chest bump, like two football players might do. She does a chest bump to him and just starts tapping him on the nose. She's saying, you are not a bad man. You are a good man that God has a calling on your life and you're going to live to see it. And I, I was looking and he had his fist shaking like the first time that I saw him when he was beating the tar out of everybody and he was shaking his fists like this. And I had, I looked down and my fists were kind of doubled up too. And I was thinking, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this because if he hits her, I'm running out the front door. She got herself in this mess and I'm not going to fight. Somebody who wants to kill everybody. So anyway, he just dropped his hands and plates and took off and, and uh, we didn't see him again, but every day she would ask me, please go find Denver. So I didn't, we didn't know his name. Then. They called him suicide on the streets. Oh my gosh. His name was suicide. And some people call him the lion of the jungle. And, uh, but other people said, well, messing with him is like committing suicide. You don't mess with him. So I, uh, but for five months I, I did on a daily pursuit and I would usually see him by his dumpster or see him near the hobo jungle. And uh, when he would see me, he would run off into the bushes. And so I, I wasn't going to go in the bushes after him. So of course. <laughs> but, uh, it took him, me five months to get him in my car. And, oh uh, my God. and tell me how your heart changed. Did it, did the whole time that you're doing this, was it more for your wife or did your heart start to change a little bit? Cause I would say that the first probably thing was fear. I mean, yes. you don't like this. It's not like this is an easy project. This is something really hard and out of your comfort zone completely. Um, how did your heart change through that or did it until later? Well, yes, I was doing it for Debbie. Right. Totally for Debbie. But I finally get him in my car. Well, and we go to breakfast one morning and he said, what is it you want from me? I've had no peace in my life since your skinny little wife showed up on the street. <laughs> crazy. I said, hey, man, I just want to be your friend. And he looked at me with this incredulous look and he said, you want to be my friend? I said, straight up, buddy, that's all I'm looking for. But that was a lie. I didn't want to be his friend. I was doing it for Debbie. And he said, well, I'm going to have to think about that. And I thought, hey, buddy, you just looked a gift horse in the mouth. You don't know who I am and what I can do for you. 
because I said, I have a lot of nice things and if you have things, I'm going to do those for you. If you want some new clothes, I can do it. I can get you a car. I can buy you a house. I can send you on a round the world vacation if I want to. So you shouldn't have to think about being my friend. It should be the other way around. But uh, so anyway, I was just so arrogant. I had thought this man had nothing to offer me in a friendship. And, uh, and it really kind of uh, just made me a little angry at him that he would want to think about being my friend. But about uh, a few days later, I saw him taking trash out of his dumpster. And so I asked him to go get coffee. So we were driving into Starbucks and we're sitting outside on the sidewalk drinking our Starbucks. And, and he said, I've been thinking a lot about what you asked me. And I said, what did I ask you? It required any thought. He said, well, you asked me if, I, if you'd be my friend. And I said, oh, I sure did. So what do you think about that? He said, well, I, I, I have to, there's something I heard about white folks that really bothers me, and it's got to do with fishing. And he said, before I decide if I'm going to be your friend, I need an answer to my question. I said, well, Denver, you're probably asking the wrong guy because, you know, I'm a rancher and a cowboy and, and I own an art gallery, but I don't even own a rod and reel or a tackle box because I'm not a fisherman. And he said, but I bet you can answer the question. And I said, okay, then ask. He said, okay. He said, I heard when white folks go fishing, they do this thing they call catch and release. And I said, oh, of course they do, Denver. It's a sport. You don't get it? He said, no, sir, I don't get it. He said, because back on the plantation in Louisiana where I grew up, we'd go out in the morning, we'd cut us a cane pole and dig us a can full of worms. We'd sit on the riverbank all day long. And when we finally got something on our line, we were proud of what we caught and we'd take it back and we'd share it with all the other folks on the plantation. He said, so it occurred to me, if you're just a white man fishing for a friend and you're going to catch and release, poof. I ain't got no desire to be your friend. <laughs> he said, but if you is fishing for a real friend, then I'll be your friend for life. Aww. And I thought, oh, man, why did he say that? Because my mind flashed back to Debbie's dream of a poor man who was wise. Because what he spoke to me at that moment was the wisest thing I'd ever heard on friendship. And I only had a second to make up my mind. Am I going to accept now his offer to be my friend? Forever. And, oh, forever, yes. Or do I go back and tell Debbie, well, he asked, I, he said he would be my friend, but it had to be for life. But at that moment, my heart began to change. And I thought, okay, I'm really doing this for Debbie, but now I have to do it for me. Wow. And so, okay, I'll be your friend. I want to introduce you to our sponsor today, and it's one of those organizations and companies that I love highlighting because they do such good in this world. Today, it's Project Helping, and if you just go to projecthelping.org, you can see all the incredible things they do. So one of the things they do is they provide volunteer opportunities for employees at businesses where they believe that every time that you volunteer, that you give back, it truly does help your mental health. And so they're providing opportunities. So if you're a business owner and you want to get connected with them, make sure you call them. They also do these incredible kindness kits for families. So each month your family would get this kindness kit and what it would be is something that you're helping give back to others. So it could be, um, 
cards for the elderly center. It could be homeless bags where you're putting together different things. They give you all the different things to put together and then you can send it back into them and they will go deliver it or you can deliver it to these different places. So it's just helping your family come alongside others in a very creative way. So make sure you go to projecthelping.org and see all of the cool things and ways that they are doing to give back and to be loved. And that started a friendship that is obviously in the book and something that that's the reason I love the book so much is because you even said in an interview that Denver was your mentor and not the other way around. And I think for those who haven't been in relationship with those who are different than them, we do come in with that arrogant mindset that you said earlier. Well, yeah, I'm coming in to serve you. Yeah, I can give you all these things. And instead of coming in with that mindset, coming in with this, um, there's a word that I love called kinship. And it's um, a word by Father Gregory that he talks about, and he does work with um, ex-convicts. And he talks about kinship, about how we mutually have a connection together. We mutually benefit one another. We mutually teach one another. And I love when I work even with the homeless, how much they teach me. I mean, I don't teach them anything. They really, I leave with such encouragement. And so I'd love to just kind of hear some of the things that Denver taught you. And um, I mean, you could go on for this for hours, but oh yes, for hours. But that's why I wrote the new book, Working Our Way Home, to tell all of the things that he taught me. But let me just give you an example. Yeah. After that catch and release meeting, the very next morning, I took a seat on the curb next to his stinking dumpster where he lived and he was dressed in filthy ragged clothes like a homeless man that hadn't changed him in a month. And uh, I take a seat next to him on the curb. And, uh, and so he's, he looked at me with a laser beam stare, like he was going to attack me or kill me at an angry look. Like, why are you invading my space right here next to my dumpster? And because nobody sat down next to him, you know, he carried a baseball bat. And if anybody got close to him, he'd take a whack at him. So uh, so I'm sitting next to him to the dumpster. And and just to break the the fear that I had in the moment, because he was scaring the living daylights out of me by not like to be homeless. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? I said, well, man, I've never been homeless. I, I have a beautiful home and, and I live a, a good life. So I don't know what it's like to be homeless. He said, well, let me tell you something, Mr. Ron. He said, whether we is rich or whether we is poor or something in between. He said, in, he said, in a way, we're all homeless. Every last one of us. We just down here working our way back home. Mm. And... Um, and again, it was that it was that wisdom. Uh, and I thought, here I am. I, I'm sitting here on this curb and I'm getting schooled like I've never been schooled before. So I, I affectionately called that and respectfully, I called it the University of Denver yeah. as I was sitting right there on the curb. But then he's turned around and he flipped that question around and he asked me, he said, Mr. Ron, he said, there's something uh, you are you one of them Christians and I said, yes, why do you think I'm down here trying to help? He said, what do you mean down here trying to help? You think giving somebody a dollar bill and, and, and putting some spaghetti on the plate is helping? He said, no, you're down here blessing us. 
but you ain't helping us. If you want to help us, you got to crawl down in the ditch with us. And when we're strong enough to crawl out on your back, then you helped us. But right now you bless us. We appreciate your blessings, but that ain't what bothers us about you Christians. I said, well, what is it that bothers you about us Christians? He said, well, what I want to know and what we all want to know, all us homeless folks want to know is that why is it that all you Christians worship one homeless man on Sunday and turn your back on the first one you see on Monday? Oh. You're wrong. You never know whose eyes God is watching you out of. And it ain't going to be your preacher or your Sunday school teacher. He said it might be a fellow that looked like me. Now, he said, it ain't me, but it might be a fellow that looked like me and God's checking you out to see what kind of Christian you really are. He said, you know, all you Christians see us homeless people as a problem. He said, but God sees us as an opportunity for the faithful to show the love of Christ. Wow. That'll preach right there. I mean, just all of that, just every single bit of it. I couldn't agree with him more and I see it so much and oh my gosh I could I just need to process all of it I need to read the book again I've read it like three times but it's just for those of you listening who have not read this book um you have to read it because I think it gives us such perspective and I say I know without a shadow of a doubt it's funny I was a youth pastor for years and you know I worked with youth and that was my thing but I said you know the homeless the refugee those aren't my things. My passion is just youth and figuring that out. And I really had a come to Jesus moment um, where God was like, if if you are for me, then you have to be what breaks my heart needs to break your heart. And all those things are breaking my heart. So you got to be a part of all that and you got to love all that. And you have to um, be my love to all those things. You don't get to pick and choose. And so my heart was super changed and my perspective, oh my gosh, just being in the presence of someone like a Denver or someone mm-hmm. who's homeless or a refugee or whoever it be that has a different story than you, just being in their presence gives us such perspective and opens our heart to something that we may never understand until we get to know someone like that. Um, I love the name, the same kind of different um, as me. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, it was, it was something that uh, Denver told me one time when we were just sitting down uh, after Debbie was gone and uh, we were, uh, we were just talking about how did we kind of get to know each other and just, you know, because it was his idea to write the book. He said, Mr. Ron, ain't nobody ever going to believe our story. We got to write us a book. But uh, so anyway, we're sitting there one day and he said, you know, when I first met Miss Debbie, he said, she was so different from me that I just know that we were never going to have no kind of friendship. But you know what? I figured out that I was so different from her now, how in the world are we going to have a friendship? Because we are just so different. He said, but after I got to know her, different. said, Miss Debbie, she was just the same kind of different as me. Oh. And so that, that's uh, how that came about. And, uh, and so anyway, our publishers thought that was such a beautiful line that they decided to name the book of that because I wrote the book and Denver and I sat for three and a half years because most people don't know this, that after Debbie died, 
Denver moved in with me and lived with me for the next more than 10 years. And that's what our new book is about. Is It's called Working Our Way Home. And uh, it's, it's subtitled How a Grieving Millionaire and a Homeless Ex-Con Were Thrown Together to Save Each Other. And, uh, and that's, we live together as roommates. Uh, you know, you take a schizophrenic homeless ex-con uh, killer, actually, and you move him into your home who doesn't, he's illiterate, he doesn't read or write, and, you know, and he's never lived uh, a normal life, and you expect him to learn accountability and responsibility, and, and to, uh, it was a great learning experience, and this is what I love. I'm working on that now for a, a film, and the people that haven't seen our first film, same kind of different as me, uh, it, it was on uh, the other night, Netflix put out on, on the internet. Uh, uh, if you want, if you're sitting home and you want to be inspired, watch same kind of different as me. And you, and, and, so, and there's some big characters in that film. That's what's amazing. Like when you found out that, you know, Greg Kinnear and Renee Zellweger, and I can't even say who plays Denver, his, his name. Diamond Honsu. Yeah. Thank he you. was he nominated for two Academy Awards. Yeah. I know. So when you found out that that was happening, how did that make you feel after well, I was a producer? I was making that happen. I mean, <laughs> I how, that. how'd you do that? How did you do well, that? You know, because our story resonated with uh, Paramount uh, and, uh, and with the writers, I, I was one of the screenwriters on it. I was one of the producers and our story resonated with these people. We didn't have a big budget, but you know, people like Renee Zellweger loved the story so much that she came in and just for a very little amount of money, she just wanted to mm, do the part. That's awesome. Uh, and so it was. Uh, John Voight played my father. I mean, I Academy love John Voight. Yes, it's all, all crazy. The, the the amount of talent that we had there, and, and the film is just such a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, I did I did have a problem with Paramount in the end that they cut out a lot of the what I call the the God story mm. of it, and uh, but. Anyway, it's just still a great film, and even Netflix, if you look on there, said you want to watch a film that will inspire you and make you feel good, watch the same kind of different as me. Yeah. So it's doing great on, on Netflix, but, uh, you know, and now we're doing, I'm trying to write the screenplay now for the new one called Working Our Way Home, because that tells the story of Denver and me living as the most unlikely uh, roommates of the ultimate odd couple that was us, because he went everywhere with me, uh, we went, uh, you know, we traveled the United States together. We helped raise more than $110 million for the homeless and, uh, and just some of the most extraordinary things. I, what I do know, I often wonder if we had not, if Debbie had not pursued her dream, if she just thought I had this wonderful dream, but she didn't pursue it. I wondered what would have happened to Denver, mm. but, um, uh, I know what happened to him because of Debbie's dream and because her being faithful and, and being the hands and feet of Christ and going into the inner city to make things happen. But I know what happened to Denver because of her faithfulness, because I saw a homeless ex-con known as suicide on the street <laughs> become a number one New York Times best-selling author, selling millions of books and being, <laughs> yes, and he was the first person to, to be a number one New York Times bestselling author who did not know how to read and write when he wrote his book. That's amazing. And <laughs> I, I watched Denver, a man who didn't speak to anyone except in anger, 
become a motivational speaker yeah. and get up to $10,000 for a speech. Mm. Uh, I watched a, a, a man, a, a homeless man, a black man who hated white people his whole life because he had been roped and dragged by the Ku Klux Klan mm. for helping a white woman change a flat tire. I watched him become a symbol and a spokesperson for racial unity in America uh, because of, uh, and, and he was preaching a message that it's not the color of our skin that divides us. It's the condition of our hearts. Mm. I see a transformed life like you'd not believe, but through the power of Christ and how he a beautiful story. And most of all, I can remember uh, I saw a white man, uh, a black man who on uh, grew up on a plantation and was taught that the White House was only for white people. Mm. But I saw him be honored in the White House by the entire Bush family wow. in 2007. He was honored in the White House at a private luncheon and uh, by the president, the Bush family. And, every, and, um, and, and when we were leaving the White House that day, uh, it was it's funny. You'll have to read about the whole story in the book, Working Our Way Home. But uh, when we were leaving the White House that day, he starts laughing. I said, what's so funny, Denver? And he said, well, think about this, Mr. Ron. I done gone from living in the bushes to eating with <laughs> He said, God bless America. This is a great country. Was he? Was it? I love it. Was it George W. or was it his father? It was George w., yes, it was 2007. I, Laura was the first lady. And, but Barbara Bush, our, she invited us to travel with, with uh, the, her foundation and Barbara and George Bush. Uh, we, uh, we became spokes persons for uh for her uh, foundation and we would we would go to her celebration of reading events and uh because you know denver learned to read at like 67 years old and so she became our number one fan and she i gave her all the credit uh barbara bush and and her foundation uh for making our book a New York Times bestseller. So That's amazing. And I think it's funny. My husband and I both worked um, in the White House in the George W. Bush days. And so I did some press advance and grant with Secret Service. So I'll have to look back and see um, when that was. That's so interesting. And I think even, you know, you said um, Denver, all these things that happened in Denver because your wife was faithful to, number one, a dream not an easy dream, an actually very scary dream, and then how it changed you. I mean, think about you. Like you would be in a to you would be a totally different person had you not been faithful to her. And so I so appreciate that that even though maybe at first you didn't want to be faithful um to that dream of hers or you did it reluctantly, that it had this trajectory that not only changed both of your lives, her life, and then the lives of, of millions who hear it. I'd love to ask you a question just as we wrap up. Um, mm -hmm. For those who are intrigued by this and or those who might be intimidated and think, oh my gosh, this is so neat for them, but I could never do something like this. It's too scary. It's too out of my comfort zone. How would you give advice to someone who says, I want to, to serve and love others like this. I want to have relationships with those who are different than me. What's an, what's a step that they could take to be in relationship with someone who's different um, maybe than them, but also the same as them? Well, first of all, let me, uh, this disclaimer, I would never tell anyone to move a homeless ex-con. <laughs> so uh, let's get that out of the way. 
me, it worked out to be the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me and the most beautiful story of my life. But uh, the thing is, you just have to take a step out of your comfort zone. You go into a, a homeless mission, begin volunteering behind a serving line so that you can just, you know, you'll find you will make friends with somebody there. You cannot help that. And, and that begins to blossom and then it would, could lead in something very, very beautiful for anyone willing to just take that one step. Yeah, I love that. Just that simple step, just that one, yes, I'll go serve, even though it might be a little scary. Be behind the scenes. You know, not everyone has to be the the person out in front or the one who even initiates. I mean, you aren't the one even who initiated this. Your wife initiated it. You know, it's okay to, to go behind someone and to follow someone. So... And this is one of the things Denver taught me is when you go, he said, he said, leave your judge's robe hanging in your closet at home. He said, the courthouse is full of judges and God ain't looking for no more of them. God is looking for servants. So come as a servant and leave your judge's robe hanging in your closet. And how hard is that? I mean, when you've only been taught something and, and sometimes we don't even know our bias, you know, mm -hmm. we might think we don't have bias, you know, we we love everyone, but when you are in a place like that, a homeless shelter or a place that you are not used to with the dirt and the grime and, you know, the, the things that you were saying, like it's creepy there and there's germs and there's diseases and all these things. When you were in a place like that, whatever you thought in your mind you didn't have biases towards, when you come in there, they come up pretty quick. And it's interesting when I bring people in with me to see their guard go up really quick. And, but the more that they experience the, and have relationship, that's when their guard starts to go down. And it's interesting. We do a lot of projects with families and we just brought, because we're close to the homeless shelter in Denver and we do a lot of work with them. We, we got to bring our families with kids in because usually you don't get to bring kids in. And so we had like four and five year olds and eight year olds and my kids are eight and 11 and they've been around this forever. And so they just walk right in you know, high five the people, whereas I see adults come in who have never been around something like this and they're very nervous and they're like holding on to their kids like so tight. And what's so beautiful is these kids, even though we want them to this to be in their DNA, they have no biases. They walk in and those people are they they don't even have any biases where the parents, it takes them a while to kind of calm down. And so what's so beautiful for me to see is that after an hour of kind of that tight grip, they start to loosen up. And, and I do believe the more we spend time, um, and get out of our bubble and out of our comfort zone and just take that one small step, it will literally change your world because it's, it's changed, you know, both of ours. So. And for those parents that are worried about taking their kids there, they should read our children's book called same kind of different as me for kids. It is a beautiful story that Denver illustrated the book and did all of the paintings and illustrations. I wrote the story, but it teaches kids how to see the homeless through God's eyes. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm doing a giveaway of all three of your books when this podcast airs um, because I think they're so important. And we, re we I read Same Kind of Different as Me to my kid who was like six at the time. I mean, I just felt like, and, and he's always had a heart for the homeless because he's always been around it. And He's seen it, you know, just under the bridges. We used to live downtown. And I think when your kids are see that at a young age, 
you know, they only know what they know. So if they never see anything that's different than them, they don't have a heart for it. And so I encourage parents all the time to make sure that their kids are seeing things that are different and they're not just in their, you know, in our bubbles that we like to be in. Um, at the very end, I love to do something um, to just encourage our guests. And I think, you know, we have so many neat people on here, you know, best-selling authors and those who are CEOs and all the things, but I always want to just encourage um, our guests that no matter what you do, who you are is so important. And so I love to get quotes and encouragement from those who might know you um, just to speak just encouragement over you because I know those days of what you're doing right now is not always easy and advocating for the homeless and and doing the things that you're doing is is hard work and so I personally want to say thank you so much for letting um Denver change your life and continuing that relationship with him because truly your book has been such a reminder to me that I need to keep pursuing that life's work and then share that with others. That is my mission is to share that be strong, protect the weak, love everyone with the world. And so people like you have laid the foundation for people like me to be able to do that. So thank you for that. I appreciate it so much. And thank you for just continuing to follow your wife's dream. Um, I also got um, a quote from another friend of yours. And she said, Ron Hall is a thoughtful man who took responsibility for his mistakes and used them for the betterment of humanity. There should be a tagline be more like Ron. And so I just wanted to um, encourage you and just thank you for your time today. Um, we will put all the links on our um, podcast for the books, and then we're going to do a giveaway too, because they're, they're so special. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on there. We're going to be giving away all three of his books. He has the same kind of different as me, his new book, working our way home, which is like a, sequel of um, Same Kind of Different as Me. Actually, Denver and him live together um, after his wife dies. It's pretty special. And then they have a children's book. And so I'm going to be giving away all three of those. So make sure you go to our socials, Be Strong Story, and see how you can be a winner of those. <laughs> hey, thanks for hanging out with our family today. We hope it inspired you and gave you ideas of how to live out love exactly where you are. We wish we could just hug each and every one of you and let you know what a difference you can make in this world. We would be so honored if you subscribed to our podcast, left a review if it inspired you, or shared with a friend because we know word of mouth is actually what matters. And don't forget to share your stories at Be Strong Story on our social media of how you lived out the message of Be strong, protect the weak, love everyone. Because we believe with our whole hearts that every person can make a difference and inspire another. See you, See you next, next week. week.